you enjoy walking on nature trails? Raise your hands if you enjoy nature trails. I, I don't particularly love hiking or on nature trails, but I do have a part of the country that is probably one of my very favorite places to go. I go every other summer. I'll be headed there this summer to a place called the Boundary Waters. And the Boundary Waters, uh, is, uh, it's, it's on the border of Minnesota in Canada, and what you do is we always go in with a, a group of guys, and you throw everything into a canoe, and everything, like all your stuff, all your gear, your clothes, your food, everything you've got, and you pack as light as possible, but you throw everything into a canoe, and, and then we paddle across a few lakes, and then we come to a point where we hit land, and at, at that point where there's land, there's a path that goes from one lake to the next lake that you literally have to pick everything up, the canoe included, and you have to carry it through this path, and that path is called a portage. And I have a picture here of what one of those portages looks like. This is actually very similar to the kind of portage that, uh, that I walk. And how many of you go, that just looks like torture to me? Just, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it is. It, it really is. And, uh, and, and so... On this portage, the goal is that you've got to avoid anything that could hurt you, including animals that are in the woods, like bears. There's bears in the boundary waters, and, and so you kind of keep your eyes open, and you're trying to go walk down this path. Now, it's not a trail. It's not even remotely like a trail. A trail is built for human enjoyment, okay? A portage is built for human suffering, and You walk down this portage, this human suffering portage, and you're trying to avoid anything that could go wrong. You're trying to avoid twisting your ankle, breaking your ankle, falling down and hurting your back. You're trying to avoid dropping all of your stuff and maybe hurting some of your stuff. You're trying to avoid all these different things, all while keeping your eyes peeled, just in case there's a hungry bear nearby that's looking for a snack called Wayne Northup on the portage. And, and so you're trying to do all of this, and the goal is arrive safely to the other side. I was thinking about this in, uh, in portion to us leading our families, because I was thinking about running a family unit and trying to lead a family unit is a lot like going down a portage or up a portage. It's it's, you've got all these twists and turns and these things you're trying to avoid and you're trying to get your family to the other side, but there's so many things that could go wrong, right? There's so many things in the areas of family that could go wrong. I mean, let's just talk about parenting for just a second. I mean, your kids could grow up and have an unhealthy self-esteem. They could be lonely. They could have, they could be socially, you know, have some social issues and anxiety. They, they could have an inactive God and not and decide not to follow with Jesus and all these different ways that your kids they could, they could get bad grades in school they could get in trouble they could be rebellious they they could do all these different things and then you know I have a little a girl she's not little anymore she's 13 years old but you know as a dad uh, there's one main concern all those concerns and then one big one and that's one word called boys hello I mean all of the different things that could go wrong. And then let's talk about your marriages. I mean, how many of you know marriages work, right? It's work, and you ask God, and you come, and you pray, and you pray together, and you walk 
together, but there's so many things that could go wrong. You could grow distant from one another. God forbid an affair to happen or divorce or any of that type of thing. So you're trying to lead your family unit down this portage, down this path, and what you want to do is arrive safely to the other side, but you're trying to avoid all of these different things that could go wrong. And you, I wish that the Bible had a, a, a gazillion examples to give us of all these healthy family units and exactly, but I'm telling you what, as you look throughout the Bible, you can see that there's actually more examples of unhealthy families than healthy families. There are so many examples of unhealthy family units in the Bible. I mean, let's just talk for a second about one guy named David. David, you may know him as King David. You may know him as the man after God's own heart. I mean, from a distance, at a, at a glance, he's got everything going for him. He's a good-looking guy. He's got a great job. He's wealthy. He's doing so good on the outside. But I'm telling you, as you look into his family unit, you can see so much dysfunction. I mean, for one, for one thing, he's like outside one looks across and his neighbor lady is outside she's taking a bath and that's a whole different discussion but she's taking a bath outside and and he sees her and he looks over and and david king david the man after god's own heart he looks at her and he has this thought okay and david the bible says he actually seduces this lady and they have an affair together now this is the worst part her husband is actually on a battlefield fighting for David, and, and so they have this affair. David decides, oh, this is really bad, and so he actually decides, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have her husband killed. How many of you say, this sounds like a dysfunctional family? Yeah, and they actually, she ends up pregnant, and, and he kills her husband, and that's just like, you know, one of the marriages that David had. Let's talk about the kids, because the kids are a mess, a disaster, I'm telling you. I mean, let's just talk about two people named uh, Tamar and, and Amnon. And so he, the, the Bible says that, that Amnon rapes his, his uh, half a uh, sister named Tamar, and, and then that actually creates a, a division between his brother, uh, 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 what, what is his brother's name, Abinadab, uh, no, Absalom, now, Absalom kills uh, Amnon, I'm trying to keep all these names straight, help me Jesus, and so Absalom kills Amnon, and then Adinijah actually rebels against David and tries to actually steal the kingship from him, Absalom does the same thing as well, in fact, another one of the brothers, Solomon, actually has Absalom killed because of that, he actually has him executed later on, so in David's family, he's got an affair, he's got rapist, he's got a couple murdering sons, how many of you say, I feel better about my family unit. This is the man after God's own heart. This is King David, the David, the guy that wrote many of the Psalms that we can read in the Bible. And he's an incredible example of the fact that you can love God with all of your heart and still lose your family. You can be a Christ follower and do everything you can to be somebody that prays and walks with God, and you can still have this family struggle that, that I want to help you with this morning. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about how to deal with family, but it does say something in the book of Ephesians. 
This is written by a guy named Paul that is writing to a church in Ephesus, and he, and he just got a few verses in here that he helps us understand what God wants to do in our families. Let's look at it together. Ephesians 5, 23, and then verse 25. It says this. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, as you do to, to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's look on, let's jump into Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now let me back up here for a second because the context that, that this leader guy named Paul, this guy who started a bunch of churches, is one of the primary leaders that we read about in the Bible, when he's writing this to this church in Ephesus, the context of it is during this time in history, family units were, were a lot different than they are today. In fact, what it looked like is that the fathers that presided over the, the family units actually existed by what's called patria potestas. And what that means is the father's power. In other words, the children of the father and the wife of the, of the, 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 wife of the father, they were actually considered to be property of that man, of that household. And the, the, the father could do whatever he wanted. He could enslave them. He could sell them if he wanted to. It was literally like, I've got my TV. I've got my furniture. I've got my children and my wife. And Paul is actually writing to this group. And what he says is very countercultural to what they knew during that time. He says, let's start again. Wives, submit to yourselves, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. Husbands, husbands, say that with me. Love, come on, husbands, help me. Love, good, Ooh, that was pretty good, I felt that. Some of you like, love, all right, let's move on. Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, before we dive into the S word that we'll talk about in just a second, let's start with verse 25. Let's start with husbands, say it together. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, some of you say, Pastor, I'm trying to love my wife, but you don't know my wife, man. This is not easy. This is hard. Listen, the incredible thing about when you read the Bible is that you can read the Bible through the lens of what you need to do, not what your spouse needs to do. Hello? We are called to love unconditionally. We're called to love our wives. We're called to love them so incredibly well that it actually matches the kind of love that Jesus had for the church. By the way, side note, do you know how much love Jesus had for the church? What did he do? He died. Just a side note, husbands. He loved us that much that he was willing to lay down his life. As husbands, we are called to love our wives. Wives, I want you to do me a favor. Close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes. I want you to imagine this with me. Imagine that you're married to a man 
who genuinely believes you are the most fantastic person on the planet. Every time you walk into a room, he goes, he's crazy about you. He listens when you talk. To use an old-fashioned term, he cherishes you. He's not afraid to make a decision. He values your opinions highly. He leads well, but he also listens well. He's never argumentative. He's not harsh with you or your kids or your grandkids. You have no doubt that he would give his life for you if the need arose, and you are never worried about him being unfaithful. Now open your eyes. How many of you would say, I could follow a man like that? Yeah, come on. The wives, I'm trying to help you here. How many of you could say, I could follow a man like that? Some of you go, I have a man like that. Okay, now this isn't the time to poke and prod and punch. And Are you listening? Talking to you, sweetie. So let's go then to the S word, okay? Wives, submit to your husbands as you submit to the Lord. This word right here has been used in an extremely, extremely poor way for many centuries. It's been used to oppress, to depress, and it can be very detrimental if not used correctly. I want to say this. Husbands, if you have to say out out loud to your wife, you got to submit to me, you've already lost the battle. Okay? If you've got to say that out loud and you've got to push submission into place because I want to help you understand this, husbands, this is not a you obey me like the kids obey me. Uh Uh-uh, it ain't the same. Okay? My wife reminds me frequently, I am not your child. Okay? This isn't the same as that. It's not like, well, you got to obey what I say, just like the kids got to obey what I say. No, this is what it is, and I don't have time to go deep into the, the study of this, but Paul is actually saying that husband and wife are equals. It's not, it's not inequality. They're equals, but the wife chooses to place herself underneath the husband in submission, not because she has to, but she chooses to. And I'm going to tell you what, it's a whole lot easier for her to choose to if you do your part in the loving. If you'll love well, it becomes very easy to make that choice. Huh. So the, the word, a better word, I think that's more apropos for today's society is the word respect, okay? So love, and, and instead of saying love and submission, everybody, everybody say love and respect, okay? God has called you Wives, to respect your husbands, to respect them. Now, here's, let me just see, tell you how this plays out. A few years ago, uh, Christy and I, the kids were moving schools. They were going to a different school, different location, and we were looking at homes. And, uh, and so we were praying and thinking about that, talking about that. And the way that our marriage works is that Christy is an incredible researcher, and she gets it down from like 20 choices, and I say, just bring it to me when we're down to about two or three. And, and then she brings that to me, and then we start praying and thinking and, and talking about it. And we were looking at a house that I just could not in my heart feel good about our kids and us moving to. And so I told her, this is what I'm feeling. I did it gently. I did it lovingly. And she said, you know what? I, I want to just, I, I want to say, if that's the way that you feel and that God's leading you that direction, then he's leading our family that direction. But here's the deal. She knew that I was doing it and that my motives were pure for our family, that I wasn't doing it as some big, bad, 
boss. If you think that's the way I run my house, you don't know my wife, okay? I was doing it out of love to guide our family and to lead our family. Now, here's the trap that we run into as couples. We run into this trap. Well, if she would, then I would. If he would, then I could. Well, if, if he would love me, then I would respect him. Well, if she would respect me, it'd be a lot easier for me to love her. And so we go into this back and forth. It's this tug of war. Well, if you would, and well, if I would, and well, if you would, and well, if she, if she would, then I could. It'd be a lot easier, Pastor. You don't know our house. It'd be much easier. And here's what I want you to do. We're going to put something on the screen, and I'm going to have you say this out loud together, okay? It's, it's the I'll go first. It should be, there we go. Okay, everybody say this with me. Everybody say this. I'll go first. Okay, put your hand over your heart. Say this. I'll go first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you. You'll go first. Don't wait for the other person. You go first. You go first. Now let's move into Ephesians chapter 6 quickly, verses 1 through 4. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Really Quickly here, Paul is pointing out an obvious order that we are supposed to run our families. Watch this now. You are the parents. You run the house. Hello? Some of you need to hear this. You are the grandparents. You, when your children are in that home, okay, they are not the boss. Pop psychology would tell us but they're fragile personalities, and we just don't want to ever tell Johnny no, because what if Johnny grows up, and all he ever heard is no, and now his, his, you know, his self-esteem has been ruined. I'm just telling you right now, if you don't tell Johnny no, Johnny is going to grow up from being a child into what I call an adult child, a brat child, hello? Because guess what? Johnny's boss will tell him no. Johnny's leader will tell him no. And so here's what, I'm, here's what I'm here today to tell you, okay? Write this down. If you are a parent, you, you are a parent, you are supposed to parent your child. God has called you to be a parent that will sometimes be a friend to your kids, not a friend that is sometimes a parent. Watch this. God has called you to be a parent who is sometimes a friend, not a friend who is sometimes a parent. If your goal of parenting is, I don't want them not to like me, you're already off the wrong foot. Okay? Everybody say, I'm the parent. Okay, some of the students in the room are getting excited. Let's move on. Verse 4, Paul moves on and he tells us this. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. What does it mean to exasperate our children? To exasperate our children means that we put too much weight on them that they can't bear. That they, we, we, uh, we load them down. A few years ago, I actually took Libby to the Boundary Waters on that trip with me. And as we were walking to the, through the portage, I had to decide how much can she actually carry. Because if I weigh her down too much, if I put too many packs and too many things on her, she is actually going to bend underneath that weight. And sometimes as fathers, sometimes as parents, we put so much weight on our kids that they were never meant to carry. How do we do that? Here's some examples. Sometimes when we become angry, okay, we're exasperating our kids. When we're too harsh, can I just tell you something? 
When you had a bad day at work, here's what you need to do, men and women, before you walk into that house, sit in that car for two minutes, take 120 seconds, and say, Jesus, help me not to carry over my bad day into that home. Help me to love my family well. Don't be harsh, okay? Sometimes when we're over strict or when we're inconsistent, that is very difficult on a child when they constantly have to guess and when you're inconsistent in your priorities and in your viewpoints of life. When we show favoritism, when we set unrealistic goals, this is my biggest struggle. And when we neglect our children, that is exasperating them. But Paul goes on to end it like this. He says, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, here's what you gotta know. We have a lot of different jobs as a parent, don't we? A lot. Like, here's some. Put a roof over their head. Provide for your household. You know, make sure that they are fed. Make sure that they get into the right schools and that they get their education. All of these different things as parents and as grandparents that we've got to do for our kids. But I want to make sure you understand very clearly the number one thing that Paul is telling us is our responsibility, and that is this. We have to teach them how to follow Jesus. We have to teach them how to follow Jesus. Your kids should never have to wonder what it takes for them to have a personal relationship with Christ. You know why? Because they shouldn't have to guess at it because you're training them, you're instructing them, you're teaching them, you're modeling for them what a relationship with Jesus is supposed to look like. And you're able to do that not only through the way that you live your life, but through conversations and instruction and training that you have for them. Your kids should be able to grow up and go, you know what? I know how to follow Jesus because my parents taught me how to follow Jesus or because my grandparents taught me how to follow Jesus. Watch this. You go, well, pastor, isn't that the responsibility of saints' kids on Sunday morning? Aren't they supposed to teach my kids how to follow Jesus? Listen, how many of you think it might take more than an hour and a half a week for your kids to learn how to follow Jesus? It is not the church's job to disciple your children. What we want to do is we want to be a reinforcement we want to come along and we want to reinforce the values and the, the ways that you are already teaching in your home on how to be a Christ follower. We, we want to come behind you in our youth ministry, and our student ministry, and we want to say, hey, here's the values that your parents are already teaching in the house. Hmm. How do I do that, Pastor Wayne? Because it's really hard. It's really hard sometimes to know how to lead my family, to lead our kids, to lead my wife. How do I do that? So glad you're asking. I want to give you some practical things on how to do that. Write these down. Number one, attend church and small group regularly. Attend church and small group regularly. Everybody say that word, regularly. Okay. You know, going to church and going to small group is a little bit like exercising. If you exercise every once in a while, how many of you know it doesn't do that much for you, right? But if you're consistent 
that's when you begin to notice a change. And most changes don't happen in a big way. They happen in incremental, small, little, pressing forward, plowing forward, faithful, 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 faithful ways. And so I'm telling you this. Attend church and small group. Everybody say it together. Regularly. I'm just telling you, I grew up in a house where it wasn't an option. It was never like, are we going to church? It was like, it's Sunday, but I don't feel good. And I would tell my dad, I don't feel good. Good. You'll be able to get prayer and get better at church. The day that I gave my life, the night that I gave my life to Christ, hear this. My parents made me go to church. I think about it sometimes. What would have happened if they wouldn't have made me go at 16 years old to church? I'm telling you, I meet these moms as I travel and speak that uh, will come to me after, after a service is over and they'll go, well, Wayne, you know, S- Susan doesn't want to go to church and, and you know, we don't want to force her. You know, we don't want her to hate church. We don't want to force her. And I'll go, oh, that's, that's hard. How old is Susie? Uh, she's 12. And I'll say, what you talking about, Willis? Hello? How many of you know? Susie ain't got no choice, right? Susie's not the parent. She's not running the house. You are. And you are teaching them, you're modeling for them that church attendance and small group attendance regularly is important. Number two, pray together. Pray together. Every night, either Christy or I, when we put our kids down, whoever is putting them down, will pray with our kids before they go to sleep. I pray with our kids before I drop them off at school every day. Pray together as a family. Number three, read the Bible together. Read the Bible together. Now, for me, we, we use, we have what's called uh, nightly devotions, and we do this during dinner time whenever we, we try to have dinner together at least three to four times a week, every week, and we, and we do it like old school. Like everybody gets, sits down at the dinner table. We actually set the table up, the whole deal. We, we go through a, a, a thing with our kids where we have our kids tell us what was your high point of your day and your low point of your day. And ev- all the kids know they've got to come with that ready, and we do the same. Here was my high point. Here was my low point. And then we pull out one of just a little devotional, a little family devotional. This is one that we used a few years back, and we've got many of them that we've been through, and we just have devotions right there together. And listen, I just got to tell you something. Some of y'all are imagining our little family devotion time like the presence of God falls and there's like angels flying you know at night and every when I open the devotional it's like ah. listen it ain't like that at all Levi our two-year-old is usually screaming at the top of his lungs throwing food most of the time I'm trying to read a devotional Christy gets excited and it reminds her some word in the devotional reminds her of a song that she knows she'll start just singing right there at the table I'm still trying to get through the devotional my parents are laughing or my parents my my kids are laughing at Christy who's singing the song they start singing the song I close the family devotional and I go thank God for another night of family devotions It's not this insanely powerful time, but you know what it is? It's consistent. My kids know the Bible because it's consistent, faithful. They know the Bible stories. They know Christ because every night when we can, we just do that little time together. Number four, serve others. Serve others. We never talk about volunteering or serving in our house with disdain. We always talk about it with joy. 
We get to serve God's church. We get to serve our community. We get to volunteer and, and help people serve others. Number five, determine the right priorities in your home. Determine the right priorities in your home. Teach your kids what, pri- what the priorities are. What takes precedence over what? Let me give you an example. We're a sports family. We watch sports. We participate in sports. But I'm telling you right now, sports will never take precedence over church. Never. So Wednesday night conflicts, Sunday morning conflicts, that's not even an option in our house, and our kids know it. Do your kids know what the spiritual priorities of your house are? Number six, model the way. Model the way. I'm going to tell you what. Guess what? Your children will pray like you pray. They will read the word like you read the word. You are the model, you are Jesus with skin on in front of them to be able to model what a relationship with God looks like. You are the model. You've got to model the way, and you've got to actually sometimes do that in front of them, where you're modeling what it means. You've got to have conversations about what God's doing in your life, and, and how he's growing you, and what Jesus, what, what new part of God that you're learning about. I want you to write down this little equation before we close out, and we pray for families today. Here's a little equation that I came up with. God's principles plus right priorities plus my personal relationship with Jesus. God's principles plus the right priorities plus my personal relationship with Jesus equals a godly family. How many of you want to be a part of and to help lead godly families? Come on, how many of you want that? I want that. I want that. We want to empower families at Saints Community Church. I was thinking this week about incredible families that are a part of this church. And the first family that came into my my mind when I was thinking about this was my friend, Ron Boover. Okay? Some of you may not know Ron, but I've gotten to know Ron just in the last few weeks and months. And Ron is a pillar here at this church. He was in our youth ministry on Friday night till past 11 p.m. hanging out with our students. And I don't know how he did it because I was tired and I'm just a couple years younger than Ron, okay? And he was over there. You know what? Watch this. I, I think his wife is serving in Saints Kids right now. That is Ron's son, John, on stage. I'm gonna tell you, that kind of family doesn't just happen. It's intentional, hello? And we want more families that look exactly like that. I could give you many more examples. But I want to to tell you this morning that we are going to be a church that values and empowers family, that helps you have better marriages, helps you raise your kids for Jesus. We are going to be a church that places a high emphasis on the family unit.